welcome. You've got mail. And welcome, everyone, to the second ever edition of Tech Stream with Shelly Palmer and Seth Everett. I am Seth. He is Shelly. One episode in the books, and it was really cool to get feedback. There's already iTunes reviews. Uh, I've been getting a lot of uh, compliments on LinkedIn and social media. What have you received, Mr. Palmer? Well, everybody thinks you're awesome, Seth. Oh, that's, that's it? Yeah, yeah, that's the good news. Everybody thinks you're awesome. So we're, we've accomplished that. We'll fool that. them. <laughs> Episode two is going to be a humdinger. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. What are we talking about today? All right. Today, there is something that has been on my mind, and I pitched it to a couple of people who listened to the first episode, and the feedback was, oh, my goodness, this is going to be something you're going to want to hear. Okay. Social media has existed now for close to two decades. Mm -hmm. And it has taken on different forms. I will give my quick background. Uh, I was a late adopter to social media. Uh, I joined in 2009 because I was working for ESPN at the time, and they were going to do it for me. They said, if you don't create a Facebook page and a Twitter page, I, uh, we're going to do it for you. I said, well, if, I, if it's going to have my name, I'm going to do it. And so I joined. It was cool to see ex-girlfriends on Facebook. That was really <laughs> neat because they all went to the Bahamas. And boy, those were some great pictures. But the idea of social media has evolved. And I've been a fan of it. You know, in 2015, my best friend was killed. And social media was a, a, a form of therapy for me uh, to hear strangers. Daryl Hamilton played Major League Baseball and uh, we did a radio show together and, you know, for, for days after his passing, there were tweets from random strangers saying, boy, I missed listening to you guys. You guys were great. And it was really nice to hear. I got to work with Prince for a year because of social media. I have mostly good things to say about social media. But if I mention that to any person in my social circles, they will say, oh, my God, social media, that's a cesspool. Well, so my first, question, Mr. Palmer, when did social media become so toxic? First of all, you you can't drop a line like my best friend was killed. I didn't want to cut you off. But, That's okay. But first of all, I'm sorry to hear that. And, and do you want to talk about that for a second? Sure, we, we can just... talk about him. He's the he's the best. Uh, Daryl Hamilton played 13 years in Major League Baseball, played for the Brewers, the Giants, the Texas Rangers, the New York Mets. Uh, retired in 2001 after a big blowout with uh, Bobby Valentine and Steve Phillips. Oh, I remember that, sure. Yeah, and uh, then he joined MLB Radio. When I was working there, we did a show together called Staying Hot. And um, it was one of the first things, we talked about this in the first episode, how MLB was one of the early, early adopters of podcasts. Yes. And the, the idea of turning a portion of a radio show into an MP3 was the show I did with Daryl Hamilton. That's why I got into the podcast game so early. Uh, Daryl was uh, killed by a murder-suicide. And uh, just tragically, it's just an awful story. And I found out on Twitter. Oh I'll tell you the, the truth. God's honest truth. I was recording a podcast. And I saw on Twitter because the Mets tweeted something because he had played there. Yeah. And that's how I found out. And it, like I said, social media was such a thing then it was 2015, so we're not talking that long ago. No. And what I did was when I was feeling angry or blue, 
I would go to Twitter and check my notifications. And I had never done it prior to, to Daryl's mm-hmm. passing. And I loved it. I loved it so stinking much. Yeah. And so when I see women who leave social media because of the, 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 the rudeness that they see, and I'm putting that mildly. Yes. The idea that if I go on any social media platform now, you are guaranteed to see something political where I don't recall that, but I also didn't pay as much attention to it. I was going to gonna say. There you go. Yeah. So look, Seth, there's no one answer to this. It's, I think every time someone says to me that social media is toxic, the first thing that comes to my mind is there are roughly 4 billion people on the internet. They are pretty much everyone who's got electricity and lives in a place where you can be on the internet at this point. There's 7 billion plus people on the planet, but about 4 billion of them are online. Of those 4 billion people, roughly 3 billion of them, about three quarters, have Facebook accounts. All the other social media tools are much smaller. You know, they're in the hundreds of Including Twitter? Twitter is small by comparison to Facebook. It's 10 times smaller, to be fair. And certainly the daily active use is, is much smaller. And you can understand that. What's Where would you go to post something? You'd go to Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. You wouldn't, well, are you combining, you just, to, just for clarification, are you combining Instagram with Facebook because no. they're owned by the same company? No, no, they're individually gigantic. And I don't know what our audience numbers are, but I would imagine our audience numbers are going to skew a little older. So they all yes. have Facebook accounts. If I'm 15 years old listening to Techstream, by the way, please leave us a rating and a review. But if yes, if, you're if right. I'm 15, am I getting a Facebook account? Probably not. You're either you might have WhatsApp or WeChat or or TikTok. I mean, there are pl- there are plenty of other places. But the reason I brought up the numbers, the vast numbers, specifically Facebook's vast numbers, but you can add everybody else in there. The mainstream big tech, Twitter. Facebook, actually, that's in the wrong order, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and then fill in the blanks after that, because everything else is smaller by orders of magnitude. Seth, if you've got a situation where three quarters of the population is represented, and it's toxic by objective measure, where you could sit back and say, this is objectively toxic, It's not the venue or vehicle that's toxic. It's a mirror being held up to our society. And it's basically saying that we are toxic. If you want the internet to be a nicer place, be kinder to people. If you want uh, the internet to be a place where less people bully, then don't bully people. It's this is a mirror being held up to ourselves. Now, I'm going to. So it's the more people just I want to cut you off right there. It's the more people. So when social media started and it was a quarter of the world's population, it was not as toxic because there weren't as many people on it. So thus the no, variety no, wasn't I don't, there. I don't, I don't think that's my, I don't, I don't okay. think that's my thesis. I, I think that um, it has always been a reflection of the people who are on it. I think the people who were on it very early did not know what to make of it. And everyone was finding their way. We figure out early that with the Arab Spring that you can politically organize. Uh, We find out very early that there are massive ramifications to fear of missing out 
and social media addiction pops its uh, head up early. I mean, we learned about these things early, but they've matured over mm -hmm. time. And so uh, what I would say is that social media is a mirror that we hold up to ourselves as a civilization, not a society, because every pocket of social media is different in every single location in the world. And it's interesting because it's not necessarily geographically um, clustered the way the world is. For example, if you've got a bunch of people who are really interested in sailboats, you would ordinarily think they would be where there are sailboats, but they don't have to be now. They can be anywhere. They can be in the middle of the desert. All they need to do is share a passion for sailboats. And I'm using that as the most benign metaphor I can come up with. But in practice, oh, I get it. In practice, so that's thing one. Thing two is that everything has been amplified. And I think everybody understands this, but no one knew what it was going to mean. I don't think it was hard to understand that in order to be a leader, you need one follower, just one. That's true since the beginning of time. What I don't think people understood was that the quality of your followers is far more important than the quantity. And so early on, people went for quantities of followers because they thought there was some asset or there was some bragging right. But what happened very early on also is that people who had quality followers who amplified their messages that really became the, the engine that drove virality, this, this was real power. And I have an article at ShellyPalmer.com that goes back a, a long way, and it, it's called How to Win a Twitter War. And it's a terrible writing. Oh, I have to read this. It is really one of the most popular things I've ever written. Because it simply breaks down in no uncertain terms how you win a Twitter war. And it's a very simple concept. And it's any social media war. I'm just, I just use Twitter yeah, yeah. in the title because it's clickbait. But, and at the time I wrote it, there were Twitter wars going on. But it's really easy to do. You take a very subtle subject, a subject that has real nuance and requires Socratic debate and thought leadership and is hard. You take a hard question and you make it binary, us or them. And then you take the negative side. And you're going to start a Twitter war. And by the way, you will. if you're on the negative side, you're going to win. And if you want to see the best in the world at that, the best that's ever lived, you can name him. You know who he is? It's Donald Trump. Of course. Oh, and nobody of better course. In, take, of course. In, in picking a fight and winning by taking the negative side. Because the people who are with you are with you. And the people who are against you are curious. And the people against you amplify and, and repost and retweet because they, they want all their allies to come and fight with them. It's an amazing strategy. So what it did was it bifurcated the world into us and them, always into us and them. And the people, there's no more middle. So the biggest victim of social media and the toxicity you describe is actually an artifact of the methodology by which you win a Twitter war or which you win a social media war. You want attention? What you write is not, look, here, I'm going to make something very controversial right now. I don't mean to do this, but I, I just want to prove a point. So forgive what I'm about to say. If somebody is uh, anti-abortion, they're going to say that life begins at conception. And if someone is uh, pro-choice, they're going to say that uh, while life may begin at conception, there are circumstances under which, and on and on and on. Okay, how do you put that on social media? Well, the way it's put on social media by one side is abortion is murder, end of story. Okay. Right. Now, that just makes people's blood boil. It's not subtle. And then the answer to that on the other side is, well, abortion's not murder. Life may begin in conception. You run out of characters. You're out of 240 characters before you can get half your explanation done. So what does the negative side have? They have concise messaging. 
they have, and I'm not trying to pass morality or judgment or even take a side on this. I'm simply just trying to lay out that one side has concise messaging enough to make the other side's blood boil. It gathers the troops on its side. It absolutely aligns the, the, uh, who, uh, the good guys and the bad guys, depending on which side of the river you're standing on, all of a sudden there's um, a fist fight going on. Who loses? Any moderate. There's no room for a moderate conversation because you don't have a way to message. You don't have a subtlety of messaging available to you. And so what, what do you, what's the other side's answer? No, it's not F you. I mean, there's no, what's but this the was way? there in 2011. It was there from the beginning, but no one really understood it in the super beginning. It became obvious. And now, now there are people who are so skilled at it, so skilled at it that if you look at it from above, if you look at it coming coming in from the top, you go, wow, this is a toxic environment. But the nature of what it is in order to be found, in order to be seen, in order to be heard, you have to be as controversial, as toxic, as cringeworthy, as out of control as possible. The middle has the, the main victim of social media is the middle. It's gone. The moderate middle toasted. I have follow-ups, but before that, let's bring your context into this. Um, we gave your credentials in episode one, but what was your introduction to social media? When did you realize it was a thing? Well, I, I think the first time I got seriously involved in anything that looked like social media was the very beginning of uh, Facebook when it was released to the wild. I had been watching with great interest what happened on college campuses with Facebook. I was so America Online is not uh, social media. MySpace is not social media. I think MySpace is a, is a proto-social media env environment because it didn't have a news feed. Okay. And Facebook didn't either when it started. I don't think social media as we understand it in the modern era starts until the the news feed becomes a thing because until you have it's yes it was myspace was a was basically a way for people who didn't know how to make websites to make websites and make themselves heard and facebook started as basically a replication of a college of the harvard facebook i mean that's what it it, it basically started as but once you added the news feed once you kind of combined the the a more contextual version of Twitter. I mean, Twitter is still out of context. By definition, every tweet is out of context to this day. You, you can do stuff about it. You can try to put together a, a Twitter storm or a Twitter thread that might be, you know, somehow related to others. But in general, every tweet's out of context by definition. So all random, right? Well, I mean, you're, you, you have to really be careful what people are replying to to understand. TikTok is like that too. Comments come in. You're not quite sure if people are commenting. When you see a TikTok comment show up, you have to go back and look and see what it's contextually about. Is it a reply to a comment or is it at you? Especially someone says, well, he's a moron. Do they mean you? Or do they mean the person who made the comment about you? You have to go look, you don't actually know. It's very, you should never respond to a TikTok comment without opening up the, without you know, the, the program, having a look at it. So at the end of the day, I became very aware of, of Facebook when it started and we, we were, really involved in AOL and MySpace and Prodigy and CompuServe and all that stuff. You know, the, the old, uh, all well, AOL, I remember the chat rooms and everyone had a chance to meet people, not mm -hmm. just the personals either. It was, it was, if you like comic books, this was a place you could go. And if you liked it, it's in, in essence, what people can go to social media for. Yeah. 
yeah, if, I mean, if look, you follow only comic book creators, you, that's all you're going to get in your feed. And so when my 30 somethings, I have three kids, two of them are 30 something. And when they were in grade school at eight o'clock on Friday nights, there was a parent monitored, teacher monitored class AOL chat room that the kids could go on and chat. Now they did a lot of that on their own. Uh, they really did. But there was one official monitored by parents chat room. My granddaughters, uh, the oldest of whom are 10 and 13, that concept still exists. It's now either in text or in some other app. Uh, there are a couple different apps the kids use. I don't want to rat them out, but they, there are, and it's, they're still parent monitored. Uh, sure. It was interesting. Last two summers ago, before the pandemic started, uh, one of my granddaughters came home from camp and and some of the children had smartphones and others did not. And the ones who had smartphones started creating these uh, text chats that were group chats. My kids have those. Yeah. And some were allowed and some weren't. And some were on their mom's phones and some were, it was really interesting to see this nascent budding, very young. We're talking kids that are, you know, sub 11 years old who shouldn't be unsupervised ever doing anything online. So right. look it, nothing, the times, if anything, they've gotten worse. The kids are, are younger and less uh, capable of understanding what's the dangers are. But I would argue it's super important not to over restrict your kids uh, or anyone for that matter. This is the world that we are evolving into and Human beings have an amazing capacity to adapt. You know, I'm still here. My name is Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. It's a nickname. It was the only thing I've ever been called where I grew up, which was a, um, a suburb of New York in a Italian Catholic Irish Protestant neighborhood, which did not think that much of boys with girls names when I was in grade school, right? I, I was taunted mercilessly. And, and oh, uh, I, the, I was the subject of, of many, I was on the wrong side of an awful lot of fistfights. And I have to tell you, it toughens you and the bullying and the stupid teasing. I'm still here. You know what, if if someone had told me when I was seven years old, that my nickname was going to put me as the first 100 pages of Google when you type it in when I grow up, since Google hadn't existed or and there was wow. no such thing. Wow. <laughs> I would have I would have probably thought I was happier about it. But you know what? It didn't kill me. And as uh, the phrase goes, as the great philosopher Nietzsche said, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. You know, uh, sure, bullying is horrifying and it's gotten out of control. And I'm not advocating that it's okay or even in any way condoning it in any way. I'm simply saying that that the world's a tough place. It's a fact of life and we should not overprotect. I think it's our job as parents to, to, to monitor closely. And the way that I like to teach it uh, when I do it, uh, consulting about it with school systems and when I'm guest speaking at parent-teacher organizations is to say, when you taught your kid to cross the street, did you uh, grab their hand once and say, look, we look both ways, then we look both ways again, then we walk purposefully, we don't run, but we don't linger, we walk purposefully across the street. Did you do that once? Or did you do that forever? And every parent goes, oh, I, I mean, I, when, my, when my daughter, my oldest, 
was 35 years old, I still wear or a street corner it's like it's just a joke. It's like, give me your hand. And she'd laugh and it would be a thing. That's it's like you never don't, you're never not a parent. You're never not watching out for your kids. So if you're gonna watch your child cross the street for the rest of their natural life and yours, what would allow you in your mind to think it's okay for someone who's not an adult to be on the internet without your supervision or without being constantly monitored and taught what is and isn't right? And I think most parents who are non-technical <clears throat> didn't understand that. So some of where we are on the internet and some of where the kids are with bullying are just that parents aren't home, parents aren't capable of monitoring or don't have the technical knowledge to do what they did in the real world. But let's face it, Seth, when you were a kid, your mom said, where are you going? Oh, I'm going out. I'm taking my bike. I'm going to my friends. And you came back at dinner time. And if you were right. late, you got yelled at. No one, they, yep. they couldn't contact you. They had no idea where you were. Oh, now, yeah, we... yeah. Now it's, why isn't their Life 360 <laughs> working? No, I'm, I'm you make serious. sure it's installed on their devices. I'm not comparing the complexity of the world today to a complexity of the world that was in another era. I'm simply saying that everybody survived sure. it. And this this will work itself out this is not more toxic in a way but it what's important here is that the internet uh and specifically social media needs to be reined in because while i am defending it i i i really want to take this another place seth I, and i sure I, I feel like the downside of social right now really far exceeds its value and whatever value social might have, whatever goodness social media might have, it's fair. The downside outweighs it. I have, because technology has really evolved uh, to the point where it's very easy for me to create a group on any one of a hundred chat clients that takes full multimedia, right? I can upload a video, I can upload a picture. My family has a private environment. We call it core. It lives on. A platform i won't say which one and that's where the inner circle of my group posts everything all day long i just landed in boston i'm you, know, you could post the text stream link to them you every single thing is there it's totally private there's no one involved there's no face bragging it's just oh look this one did something cute oh look this one did something amazing oh look what i found here's a meme that's so politically incorrect it could never be put on your social account but it's funny and so the privacy the total privacy of that matters from my perspective everything else about social media um, which was, you know, the ability to contact people with that kind of info. What does it cause? It, it makes certain people feel inadequate. It gives other people fear of missing out. You get face brags. Oh my God, the line at the Louvre was so long. I, I, you know, seriously, that's that's the thing. Can you believe I, I'm here at this beach and this place? I mean, stop it. And I'm sitting here, you know, in isolation without my vaccine or whatever. I mean, the, the right. fear of missing out is terrible. The fear of ice, the isolation is terrible. The depression, and anxiety that costs the cyber building we talked about, the self-absorption, the unrealistic expectations, the negative body image. I mean, I could go on forever. The, the, the what it does to your sleep patterns. And that's that's just the side that that you could that you understand. Let me tell you the dark side that we haven't talked about. Every one of us, every one of us is a worker in the minds of the data elite. You know, you hear all the time, well, if you know, you, you don't understand what the product is, you're the product. That, that's not right. That is absolutely a misunderstanding of what's happening. None of us have the ability to package ourselves. Our data individually isn't worth anything to anybody. But when Facebook or Twitter or Google 
or Microsoft or Apple or Instagram or WhatsApp or WeChat or Waze or Amazon, the data elite, when they aggregate our data, they turn that data into action, which in turn turns it into sh uh, shareholder value. We are workers. We are the miners. We are mining our own data. We are literally workers in the minds of Google and Facebook and the data elite. And so we're not the product because we don't even get paid for our work. The benefit is, oh, you get free opportunity to tell us everything there is to know about you. I'm sorry. Tell me why, Google, you need every keystroke. Tell me why you need what time of day it is while I'm searching. Will that help you do a better job surfacing content, right person, right time, right place, right content? And they'll say the answer to that is yes. But uh, do you really need it? And the answer is you don't. It doesn't help you give me better search results if you know what time of day I'm searching. It does, all it lets you know is that I'm up in the middle of the night, so I'm a night owl. So if someone can now put Somonex in front of me or whatever sleep medication is, that would be a good thing for them to buy. And they'll tell you that their rules and regs prohibit people from taking advantage of things like that. Really? Have they seen my feeds? I have one last question, and then I want to just wrap with some fun social media stories. Sure. Um, I learned this in 2011, and I'll give you the context. Uh, a guy with over 250,000 Twitter followers in 2011, now he has over a million, uh, was at my house, and we were just we were talking, and he was giving me advice, and he said, because everything that I was putting on social media was promotion. Hey, I'm going to be on this radio show here. I'm going to do this thing here. We have a podcast here. That was all my social media was and he said the general rule should be that for people that have content to promote 70 percent of your social media should be your personality and 30 percent should be your promotion because people will follow you for the personality and they'll see what you're promoting but if you are just a promo vehicle with no personality you're not an interesting follow on social media i i think it's even deeper than that, A, I agree 100%, but I take it a step farther and say that 85% of one who you are trying to uh, be valuable to, if you try to build a community, understand what it is, why they're there, they're investing a few seconds of their time. And for that, you're going to amuse them, entertain them, enlighten them, inform them. One of those things, you, you, you have to be valuable, first be valuable. If you're valuable, the community will listen to you and then you don't really have to promote that much. So you build the community first. And I think that's always been the way. If you relentlessly promote, you're just, I mean, that's the first way to get someone to, to just really unsubscribe. Uh, it, it makes no sense. In the old days, you know, it's changed a lot. In the old days, you could be the bringer or aggregator of news. We do some news aggregation at Shelley Palmer on Twitter. Um, we do an email every day that aggregates news and it works because I curate things for my, my community that they don't have to sort through 500. Like this is my favorite story about this story today. Here's the smartest right. commentary I found about this particular and they know story. What, and they know what you're going to write about. So they know what they're looking for. Well, I mean, I, I throw a little rant on my daily email. That's my per, my personal take on that. Again, that's my personality to your friend's point. That's my personality coming through. It's like, this is my take on that. Um, but I would never then just like, I can't even imagine putting out, we're doing this, we're doing that. We're not, who would care? I wouldn't even care. Like, why would you want to see that? Right. So, I mean, look, you got to use social media the right way. I think there's a, there, the, the practical reality 
is that people who are really good at social media understand that quantity and quality are two different things. It's all about the quality of the community that you have and has nothing to do with the number of followers. A hundred amazing followers that retweet everything you do or repost everything you do or most of what you do that engage constantly and keep a dialogue and actually are a community, that's gold. 500,000 people that superficially, and by the way, only 5% of that group's ever going to see anything you ever send out there anyway. So 500,000 people that don't care about you at all, who once in a while you amuse and maybe pay attention to you once in a while because you're not something they care about. Like, what, what is that? Is that a bragging right? I don't know what that is. No, but, but, but I've noticed, you know, this year especially, I, I've been much more careful about what I write. Um, I used to write things like wear a mask. I've lost about 1,500 followers from the start of the pandemic to now. Uh, I've written things like uh, wear a mask. I've I've written things like uh, I didn't think college football should happen because I didn't. I thought those players were sacrificial yeah. lambs and I was against it. Uh, I thought the baseball season last year was hodgepodge, you know, things like that. And I've noticed a lot of people just didn't want to hear it. And now I've become a little bit trigger shy on what I'll write on any platform. Uh, and I had to delete Facebook off my iPhone for about six weeks because of the inherent racism that I saw from people. It's, because, yeah. you know, when I was an early adopter, again, I, it was with ESPN. I, I, all right, I'll tell this. Seth Everett's not my real name. So to have a social media that says Seth Everett, I have no problem accepting hundreds of friends from all over. I was one of the first people to find out there were limits on how many people you could accept on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't bother me. Now I've, I'm much more selective and I've deleted 75 people from my Facebook simply because I couldn't take the, 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 the awful things people were saying. And I, for my mental health, I had to delete it. And I did six weeks, no face. So there, there Seth is the entire crux of the whole thing. If you are using social media for quantity over quality, and that's what you want to do, then the strategy has got to be pick the fights, Thicken up your skin. Understand that Agreed. if you are in a fist fight, you're going to get hit. If you're in a knife fight, you're going to get cut. If you're in a gun fight, you're going to get shot. And if you're in a social media fight, you're going to get insulted. And if you're not okay Agreed. with those rules, then don't get into it. Then don't play. Right. Then don't play, right? If, that, if that's not good, then don't do it. But if you're trying to use social in a more civilized manner, in a way that maybe was more intended originally, yeah, you have to be incredibly selective. I think the most cowardly thing in the world is deleting someone you don't agree with. I also think it's the bravest thing in the world because, okay. because it's cowardly because we should never be afraid to stand up for our beliefs and we should never be afraid to defend what we believe and we should never be afraid to engage in civil Socratic debate because that's how the world evolves and that's how innovation happens and that's how communities are built and minds are changed. The problem is that the social justice warriors aren't there to, for their minds to be changed. They're there for a different on a different mission. And so you are, everyone's howling at the moon. They're all screaming at each other to be heard, not to change minds and minds will not be changed. This is not a venue where minds can be changed. Once you understand the rules of engagement, then you can play a little bit more, uh, you play a smarter game. But if you're looking to like 
if it's not the persona and you're very smart you've said look the persona seth everett was willing to take on an awful lot of people but right. seth everett the person who is not actually seth everett isn't look shelly palmer father of three grandfather of three no way in the world do i set myself up for that kind of attack on a personal level sure. shelly palmer the brand it's open season go for it Agreed. and i mean if, if you can't bring yourself to the party that way then you're going Completely. to be very upset from from the tools out there because they're vicious they really are oh they, they they are they are indeed all right let's let let's uh lighten things up a little bit here um i have i i was i was debating which one i wanted to tell uh but my favorite i wanted to tell you the first time i ever had a tweet that got liked 500 times wow okay and it was the same day that that guy came over and told me the 70-30 rule, the 70%. Mm -hmm. He just said, do things like your personality. And I'll never forget the day because it was the day of Whitney Houston's funeral. Oh. Whitney Houston, an amazing talent, uh, had her funeral about 12 minutes from where I live because I live near Newark, New Jersey. And because <laughs> there was a story that came out that Bobby Brown walked out of Wendy, Whitney Houston's funeral because he didn't like where he was sitting and he abandoned his daughter because he didn't like where they had placed him. And I thought that was a scumbag move. And all <laughs> I, I was just looking for a personality. And all I said was, uh, as a father, uh, you know, I found that reprehensible. You do what you can for your kids. And, and that didn't get the likes. The next tweet, because my, my buddy said, keep going. And the next tweet I wrote, in order to properly punish Bobby Brown, I'm officially deleting my prerogative off my iPhone forever. Oh, no. And that got 500 likes. And I was like, right on. <laughs> and he said that that's how it, it works. And again, this was 10 years ago. So likes weren't a thing. I think it was favorites at the time. And it was just it, it, it was the first time you could have fun now. When I joined Twitter, I was working for the Philadelphia Phillies. I'll give mm -hmm. you one more. I was working for the Philadelphia Phillies. And in 2011, I had just worked their season. And my little daughter was born. And we took her to the mall to push her in the stroller. It's January now. We mm -hmm. took her to the mall to push her in the stroller just because it was freezing outside. We need this kid to take a nap. So we're at the mall. And I'm a New Jersey Devils fan. And the Devils are playing the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, the Philadelphia Flyers play across the street from the Philadelphia Phillies, of which I had just worked. And at that point, probably 60% of the people that followed me on social media were Phillies people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the Devils are playing the Flyers in Philadelphia. And, after, and I'm watching it or listening to it on my phone. And they're winning after two periods, 5 nothing. And all I tweeted was, every one of those goals feels great. <laughs> and I got you're a traitor you're not one of us you're a you're phony because in Philadelphia in case you didn't know if you like one of their teams you have to like all four of their teams and I oh. hate the Philadelphia Flyers I see. and I just but I remember both <laughs> those situations happened in the same year and I had so much fun and that's that's when I really started to dig it anyway what are what give me a give me one of the your favorite times in a social media sense. I know I'm putting you on the spot. I, I didn't ask you this ahead of time. No, that's okay. Look, um, I, I think I joined Twitter in 2007. And one of the first tweets I put out there 
was a uh, at the time you would go and you would tweet things that were happening to you, like you know you or or you would tweet about a television show and people cared about that because you know there wasn't something that was pretty common or you, sure. your commentary on something that was happening was meaningful. I, I want to say the the first thing I remember about Twitter comes sometime obviously after November. I was watching a television show, an old Star Trek. <laughs> and, and I just, I just noticed something really funny at the time. You know, I, I just wrote something like, I wonder how many takes it took Captain Kirk, uh, James, uh, James <laughs> T. Kirk. No, no, James T. Kirk oh. to uh, tickle the Tribble <laughs> until it moved the right way. It was something that silly. And it got all kinds. Like it started this it was insane. Funny, right? It was, and I mean that. That's what I. That's when I had a feeling that this was going to be something significantly bigger than I understood. Like that was totally like that because it, it was the most idiotic thing I could think of. I mean, it was literally. I was. It was an afternoon. I'm just watching. Like I was watching I old it. TOS reruns. Of course. And I'm like, wow, this is nuts. I mean, and everyone got into it. And on that same subject, years later, years later, um, I was on CNN as I as I am uh, very often, and I was with Richard Quest, uh -huh. and we were talking about some advanced technology, and I did something that was an unforgivable sin. I mixed a metaphor between Star Trek and Star Wars. <laughs> And I did not know that I had done it. I was thinking two <laughs> things at once. I was on the spot and I was trying to make a point and I did not know I did it. And someone from the control room in my IFB, in my earpiece, yeah, yeah. corrects me. And I'm like, and it was live. The blood <laughs> drained from my face. And Richard looks at me, he goes, what's the matter? He says, I don't think you understand what I just heard. I, I've, I've committed a sin. I've committed a mortal sin that cannot be un like certain things in the world cannot be unsaid. And it's over for me. I've lost all credibility. This is a mistake no one can make how I'm not drunk. I'm not asleep. I was not I there's I have no excuse. All there's I no rehab you can go to. There's no it's like when you, there's misspeaking. And then there's this it's like, there's no way I'll remember ever, what it was. I'm not going to say it. I do remember what it was. And I will never say it again out loud. I but I just when you talk about and by the way, the reason I'm bringing it up is that when when the Twittersphere and yep. basically, uh, you know, Facebookistan woke up that yeah. second, like I didn't know how many followers in quotes I had till that day. But that, now was, you did, right? that was like, oh, oops. Um, Wow. And I, just, I, you know, I took it like you're supposed to take it, but man, I, <laughs> I, oh, that, that one really hurt. That one really hurt on, I, yeah, that one That's hurts. Funny. That one really hurt. I, I'd never done it before. And trust me. I've never done it. <laughs> I've never done it since, but that's yeah. Ouch. But you're guilty as charged. Guilty, guilty as charged. I mean, look, you got a man up to it. I mean, wow. I, yeah, I don't know how it happened. I was, I literally don't know what I was thinking. Well, rather than go down a toxic road, I think that we uh, nip this in the bud and call this episode two. Uh, keep the ratings and reviews going. And if you have a topic, trust me, reach out to Shelly, reach out to me. You can do so. And we will we'll talk about what you want to talk about. We're going to find all of these things uh, available. Shelly, have a great week. You too, Seth. Thanks so much. See you guys soon. This is Tech Stream with Shelly Palmer and Seth Everett. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.